Man, what an incredible, incredible time of worship so far. All of our, our staff and production and worship teams, all of our artists, man, have just been incredible over these last, I think this is now week seven that we are into this quarantine life, all right, this shelter-in-place life. And we don't know how much longer that's going to continue to go. We're obviously going to continue online for the next several weeks. And make sure you're staying up with, those, uh, with us and those updates and, and hearing you know, all the communication, whether it's through email, whether it's through social media, whatever it is, we want to make sure that you are aware of what's going on. We, we try to do our best to stay up to date with you uh, every possible way that we can so that you'll know what's going on. We just sent out an update this week, just saying we're going to continue online until we Uh, As we see our state, you know, going back to work and kind of slowly opening over the next several weeks, we'll just kind of reassess things, see where we are, and then make kind of decisions about how we proceed into the future. But again, thank you so much for staying connected online. You know, we're so grateful for technology and the ability that we have to continue to, to have church together, to be the church, to worship together. And so we're so incredibly grateful for all of our staff and teams and for you, all of our families in our church for staying connected during this time. You know, if you watched last week, we kind of interrupted our normal broadcast service uh, uh, through the book of Romans. And by broadcast, I'm not talking about we interrupted this stream, but we've been preaching through the book of Romans. And coming out of Easter, we just felt like it was really important for us to kind of hang there for a little while, to, to really let Easter inform everything that we do, to really let Easter have its intended effect in our lives to where we really come out of it with more faith. We come out of it believing. And so we started this whole campaign that you've hopefully been hearing about. And so many of you came and picked up road signs. In fact, we're almost out of road signs at both of our locations. So we're ordering more. Those will be available very, very soon. And so again, when you come by to one of our locations, drop food off, look for the signs. If there's not a sign there, that means we are out, but we are ordering more. And so those will be available this week. So again, make sure you're staying up to date with us. We'll let you know when those are available. But we're doing this whole campaign really for two reasons. One, we want you to know what you believe. We want you to have what we said last week is this kind of bedrock belief system that is holding you up. And so often as Christians, we can just kind of get into the motion of things and then suffering or something that kind of disrupts our normal life really kind of pushes us to the brink of saying, okay, do I believe this or not? And so we talked at the very beginning of this, a little over a month ago now, that this was our opportunity as a church to really wake up to the reality of there's other things going on. And so it's been amazing over this last week to see you as the church really step into this. And and so many of you have put it on your social media icons and Facebook and you know, putting it, I was gonna say blasting it out. I don't know what that means. All right, but putting it out there, telling people what it is that you believe. We've gotten a lot of your, you know, submissions back in, and you've been telling us. I'm gonna read some of those in a little bit. But the first part of this was really to help you kind of write down what is it that we believe. So that becomes a bedrock belief system for you and your family. And then the second part of it, what we're gonna talk more about today, is so that we can speak that, so that we can speak what we believe. And it really comes out of these core verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're going to hang out in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 today. Uh, The verses we looked at last week and then kind of back up earlier into chapter 4 and then move over into chapter 5. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the, the whole campaign came out of these two verses in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13 and 14 where he says this. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, 
I believed and so I spoke. He's quoting Psalm 116. He says, we also believe. We also believe and so we also speak. What is it that we believe? Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so he says, we believe Easter. We believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we know that. We know that that happened. And we also believe that he who raised him will also raise us. And so this whole campaign has come out of this this verse and this season, this time, and says, we believe and we also speak. And so we put it out to you, a very simple format last week based upon this, and I'll show it here on the screen again. We believe God is blank, therefore blank. We believe God is, an example I keep using is God is sovereign, therefore we will trust him. And so many of you have taken this and and written it up. I've seen everything from kind of like artistic versions of this to families kind of telling us this to people posting it on social media. So I just wanted to read a couple of these. These are what you came up with, all right? These are just some of the highlights uh, of some of the statements that we got in. Again, we've gotten in quite a few. The first one is, we believe God is over all. Therefore, I will not be anxious about the future because you are already there and you have a plan for my life. Next one, we believe God is omniscient. Therefore, we can enter into rest and peace in the midst of uncertainties and the unknown because he holds the answers. Man, that's good. We believe God is eternal. Therefore, we will not fear the present. Man, that is good. We believe God is protector. Therefore, I will not fear. We believe God is loving. Therefore, we will show his love to others. We believe God is unchanging. Therefore, I can faithfully praise him no matter the circumstances. Come on, somebody. You better be amen to me right there in your house. All right? These are from you. We believe God is loving. We will, show, uh, we will show others his love. And this is probably my favorite. It came from a family. And they said they wanted to do it as a family. And so their kids spoke into it as well. So I, I, I can only under, believe that this, a kid spoke into this one. We believe God is awesome. Therefore, we will give him all the glory. We believe God is awesome, so we will give him all the glory. Man, those are some incredible statements. And again, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week or didn't see that message, you can go back and watch it. But it's, again, based upon that simple format, we believe God is whatever it is that you believe, that the scripture says that he is, therefore, and then you write out the action step that you're going to do. God is awesome, so we give him all the glory. God is sovereign, he's omniscient, so we can trust him, we can rest in him. So keep those coming in, all right? Keep, if you wanna email us those, go to our contact button on our website, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, post it up. Again, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Not only do we want you to know what you believe, but we want you to speak what you believe because there are other people who don't know what you believe who don't have a bedrock belief system that is holding them together during this time. So it's so important, not only that we believe it, but that we speak it, that we communicate it, all right? So that's the title of my message today. So we also speak. So we also speak. I don't know about you, but I I really don't have a problem speaking. I enjoy speaking. In fact, probably the hardest thing about this whole time has been speaking just to a camera. 
We do have a few people in the room, some staff and, and team leaders and team members here, which is great. But we really miss being together. And again, hopefully we can do that again soon. And I love speaking. But one of the great ironies, and I've said this before, that when I was a young kid, I was a third of three. And when I was young, I couldn't communicate. I couldn't speak. And the reason is, I mean, my brother and sister thought I was because I was a little slow in the head, but I get so frustrated that I couldn't speak that I would sit Indian style on the floor and bang my head on the ground because my family couldn't understand me because I, they couldn't understand what I was trying to say. My mom used to always tell me I would try to say words out my nose. I would say S, but I would say it out my nose. I don't know how I'm inventive. All right. And so I had this whole problem speaking. So when I was three years old, I had my first surgery, had tonsils, tubes, the whole thing. They figured out that I couldn't hear. That was the whole problem. So I couldn't hear, and I was communicating based upon what I hear. And then I had to go to speech therapy, learn how to speak. And, and I guess that's why I love to speak now, because as a young person, I, I couldn't speak very well. So I love speaking. I love communicating. It's just part of, I'm a ex, true extrovert. I have to talk in order to think, which is why my sermons tend to go longer than the 35 allotted minutes, because the more I talk, the more I think. And so there's things that I just say that Lindsay's like, I was so shocked that you were saying that. I'm like, I, me too. I didn't have any idea I was going to say that. All right. Because I just, as I talk, I, I start thinking. So I love to speak. And the thing that I love to speak about the most is God. The thing I love to speak about the most is what God has done in my life and what God is teaching me about himself in his word. And so this desire to speak comes out of what you love most. And, and all of us do that, right? Whatever your favorite sports team is, maybe they're not getting to play right now. And we all understand that, right? But whatever your sports team is or whatever product that you just bought off of Amazon, right? That got shipped three weeks later because it wasn't essential. Whatever it was, whatever you were excited about, you naturally start speaking about it because you love it, because you're excited about it. You believe in it. And so what I want to just show you here simply is we naturally speak about the things that we love most. So I think it's very important that we understand that the Bible would say, of course, if you believe God is these things, do you believe God you know, is who the Bible says he is, then the natural outflow of that is you're going to speak about it. You believe it and you speak it. But here's what I want you to understand the reason why. The reason why it's so important to speak what we believe. Now, look back at verse 15 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, for it is all for your sake. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. He says, we believe and we speak for your sake. For your sake, so that grace can extend to more and more people. This phrase here, for your sake, and again, if you've been around revolution, you know I love prepositions, is a preposition of purpose, all right? It's a preposition of purpose. It's telling you the purpose behind the reason for speaking. He says, it's for your sake. It's a purpose. And here's what I want you to see. The reason why it's so important for us to speak what we believe is because it's through the speaking that we fulfill our purpose. It's through the speaking that we fulfill the purpose for which God saved us. And when we fulfill that purpose, when we speak, 
grace extends to more and more people. Grace extends to more and more people. So very simple. The more you speak about what you believe, the more grace extends to more people. The more you speak, the more grace extends. And that's the purpose for why you're speaking. But there's another thing I want you to see here. The more that grace extends to more people, the more glory goes to God. So I want you to, that's the ultimate purpose for everything in the universe. Glorifying God or enjoying God. So I want you to see this. You believe, you speak, more grace extends to more people, which increases thanksgiving, which leads to more glory to God. And so here's why it's so important. If we're not speaking what we believe, then it robs God of glory. If we're not speaking, if we're not speaking up about who God is and what God's done in our life, then it lacks increase of thanksgiving, which then robs God of glory. So the ultimate purpose of everything in the universe is to glorify God by enjoying him. And if grace isn't extending to more and more people, then there is less and less glory going to God. And that is why it is your purpose to speak. And this is why I think it's so important, again, during this season. There are so many people, I mean, literally billions of people around the planet. I mean, this has affected the entire globe that are worried, that are concerned, that are fearful because their gods have been destroyed. They're gods of comfort. They're gods of security. They're gods of government. They're gods of money, whatever it is. And, and now they are searching And so now more than ever, we need to step into our purpose as a church and speak to them about the belief that even if they got this virus and died, if they're in Christ, they shall live. And when they understand that, and when grace extends to them through your mouth moving, talking about what it is that you believe, then now they have the real God and they are now glorifying him. And again, this is the part where I think so many Christians, especially Christians who've been believers for longer periods of time, forget. We forget what it's like to be lost. Can you imagine right now not being a Christ follower? I mean, you know, we're fearful enough, but can you imagine going through a crisis like this and not knowing Christ? Can you imagine going through this and not knowing that God is sovereign, not knowing that God is loving, not knowing that God is working all things together for good? Can you imagine the fear that that creates, the panic that that creates inside the human heart? And so what we want to do during this season, again, is leverage this opportunity to speak what we believe. That's why we're doing this campaign. And so here's what I want you to do, all right? I want to connect these things for you. So I want you to back up a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to go back to verses 4 through 6. Talk about people who are lost, people who don't believe, how God is working in this and how he can use you. Then we're going to fast forward to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then close this out, all right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, back up now to verse 4. And I'm actually going to read these out of order. And I know it's out of order for all you type A people. It'd be like, you didn't go four, five, and six. All right. I'm saying it on the front end. I'm going to read verse four. 
Then I'm going to read verse 6, and I'm going to show you how those two fit together. And then I'm going to show you verse 5 that sits in the middle between those two verses. All right? So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. This is Paul, same chapter. He says, in their case, he's talking about unbelievers, the lost. In their case, the God, little g God of this world. We've talked about this over the last several months. Supernatural. There are other Elohim. There are other spiritual beings who have authority. And this God of this world, referring to the ultimate leader of the rebellion, the devil himself, says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So there are literally billions of unbelievers in the world right now that are blinded. And the reason why they're unbelievers is because they're blinded. Now, here's what's crazy. This word here, blind, I just thought, thought this was interesting. Again, you know, I like words if you've been around here. The word here, blindness, is the Greek word typhlo. If you're real redneck, you would say typhlo. It almost sounds like typhlu or typhoid. It sounds like a disease. It sounds like a virus. And that's the first thing I thought of when I read this word, because we go to Africa every year and got to get a typhoid shot. And so I thought of typhoid. I thought of typhlu. And here's what I want you to see. The greatest threat to our world today is not the coronavirus. The greatest threat to our world today is not some other virus or some other disease. It is spiritual blindness, typhlu. The greatest problem in our world today is not a physical problem. It's a spiritual one. The greatest problem in our world today that people, billions of people are infected with is spiritual blindness, spiritual blindness. And the God of this world has continued to keep them blind. They can't see, he says here, they, he has kept them from seeing the light of the gospel. Now don't miss this, of the glory of Christ. Remember just a second ago, we were talking about in verse 15, how when more and more grace extends to more and more people, it glorifies God. Well, the blindness that people can't see is they can't see the glory of God. They can't see it because they don't believe they are blind. The light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, they can't see. They're blind to it. Why? Because the God of this world has kept them blind. And then verse six, look at this. Here's our hope for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So again, I told you to read verse four, read verse six. So here's the problem. The problem in verse four is spiritual blindness. The virus that has affected billions of people, spiritual blindness, typhlu, all right? Verse six, you have God saying, let there be light and light shines out of the darkness. And he says this has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, don't miss this, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the problem of spiritual blindness, God has solved. Again, if you think about blindness, you think about darkness. The problem of spiritual blindness, God has solved. How? By saying, 
let there be light. So here's what's crazy. Paul's talking about here. Obviously, he's making a reference to Genesis chapter one. When the world existed in physical darkness, when the world existed in physical blindness, there wasn't humans yet, but there was just darkness, the Bible says, over the face of the deep. And what was the solution to the problem of the darkness? God spoke. God spoke and said, let there be light. Let there be light and light shone in the darkness. And Paul is picking up on that. And he says, that's the exact same way that light comes into the darkness of someone's spiritual heart. That's the exact same way that someone goes from not seeing, from blindness, darkness to light. God says, let there be light. And the light shines. And then when it shines, we see. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you got the problem, verse four. You got the solution, verse six. The problem of spiritual blindness is God. The problem of spiritual blindness is Jesus. Now in between those, verse four and six, is what verse? Verse five. You guys are so smart. Thanks for following along, all right? Paying attention with me. So how does God solve the problem of spiritual blindness. When he says, let there be light, how does that happen? Because I've never heard God say, let there be light. When I was saved, I didn't hear God say, let there be light. So how did it happen? Look at verse five. Back up one. For what we proclaim, Paul says, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Here's what I want you to see. God provides the light through our proclamation of Jesus. God provides the light through our proclamation. Again, if you've been around revolution, I, I say this often, that apparent contradictions in the human mind aren't with God. And so people will say all the time, did I come to Christ because God made it happen? Or I said yes. Yes. But here's what I want you to see. The proclamation goes out. Paul says this in Romans 10. How can they know unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone preaches? How can someone preach unless they're sent? So God is the one who makes the miracle happen. Again, that's so important to understand. No one comes to God unless God overcomes their resistance to him. No one comes to God unless God says, let there be light and there's light. But how does God say it? He does it through the proclamation of his people. He does it, we might say, through preaching. Now, you understand what I'm doing right now is preaching, and there's a lot of us that would say, well, yeah, he might do it with, with you preaching, with you proclaiming, but I'm not a preacher. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a preacher in order to proclaim. You don't have to have a crowd of people. I don't right now, right? It's not about being gifted as a preacher or a communicator, you, you can't stand back and say, well, I would do it. I'm, I just, I'm no good at it. Well, that is a denial of the power of the one who provides the light. He, he doesn't need eloquent speakers. My joke all the time is God in the Old Testament spoke through a donkey and he's still doing it today. He's still doing it today through me. He doesn't need this is why Paul says, we didn't come to you with eloquent speech. We just opened our mouth about Jesus so that you would know that the power was in the proclamation, not in the person. 
Not in the person's gifts or eloquence in order to say something beautiful. The gift is simply in the simple proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And then I love how he says this. We proclaim that and ourselves as your servants. Ourselves as your servants. Church, hear me. This is the best opportunity we've had in decades to serve our neighbors around us. You want to know the best ways to earn the right to proclaim? Serve. This is the part, again, where we get it confused. People say, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. Well, that's a misunderstanding, all right? And again, bad quote. If you've said it before, it's all right. You're forgiven, all right? We have to use words to share the gospel. Serving my neighbor is not sharing the gospel. Doing something good for my neighbor, like providing toilet paper for them, all right, or providing meals for them is not sharing the gospel. We do that to earn the right to share the gospel. We do that to earn an entry into them understanding, hey, we love you. And we're trying to meet your needs right now, but we're ultimately trying to meet your eternal need. See, Christians care about all suffering. And so we should step into suffering wherever we see it on the planet. But what we care about most is eternal suffering. So yes, we meet physical needs, but we don't stop short and then say that was the gospel. No, we also meet spiritual needs. And how do we do that? By simply proclaiming by simply speaking what we believe. And what is it that we believe? That God raised Jesus from the dead. That Jesus was God in the flesh and he came to trade places with us. So that's our message. That's how we proclaim it. We proclaim Jesus through serving people and then opening our mouth and speaking. So here's a very simple formula. Serve, then speak. Serve, then speak. If you speak first without serving, they may not trust you. But if you just serve without speaking, you haven't shared the gospel. So serve, then speak. That's why this is such a unique opportunity because there's a lot of needs that people have. So we want to serve them. Then we want to speak. We want to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because it's through that proclamation that God provides the light and opens their eyes and cures the greatest problem that they have, which is spiritual blindness. Again, just imagine with this you know, virus going around, if you had the cure and you didn't speak, how unloving would you have to be? If you had the cure, but you didn't speak. That is ultimately what we want to wake up to. Again, the greatest problem is spiritual blindness. And one of the reasons why blindness is still over and infecting billions of people is Christians aren't speaking enough, aren't speaking what we believe. And that's what we want you to do. Now flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. Again, I'm going to kind of wrap this all up. And just, again, give you kind of further evidence to the fact that this is what God wants for you. This is the purpose. Again, if you've been struggling with what your purpose is, maybe you've even lost your job, you know, God forbid, during this time, and you've been wrestling with your purpose, well, here's your purpose. I'm going to show it to you right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. Look at this. 
Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. Again, God is the one who said, let there be light. God's the source. All this is from God who, check this, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and, everybody say it with me, say and. All right, come on, in your house, all right, speak back to me, whatever you're watching me on, and, come on, he, gave, he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big and. He reconciled us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know what's cool? That word there, ministry, is the Greek word diakonos, which means service. You're a servant. That's why you serve your neighbor and you speak about Christ. And when you serve, that's your ministry. You are a servant. And God saved you to serve. And this is why he says, we don't regard anyone now according to the flesh. What's really cool to me, this word here, regard, is the exact same Greek word for no. No. We know that he raised Jesus from the dead. He said, let there be light to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Same word. And here's what I know. When you know Jesus, you will not know anybody else just according to the flesh anymore. What does that mean? You'll never look at the world the same. You will never look at the world and now judge them according to the flesh. Let me give you a practical. You will never look at the world and say, there's no way God could save that person. You won't say that anymore. You will never look at the world and classify them according to the flesh. Oh, church, how we have done this so much. This is why the book of James says, when someone comes in and they look wealthy, don't give them a special seat. We don't judge people based upon their gender. We don't judge people based upon their class. We don't judge people based upon their race as if God loves a certain class or a certain race or a certain gender more than he loves anybody else. We look at them all the same. And what is it? Potential new Christians. That's all we look at them as. We don't regard them. We don't know them by the flesh anymore. Why? Because if they're in Christ, they're a new creation. So don't miss this. We don't regard, I'm bad English here. I know it. We don't regard no one. Why? Because anyone can be new. We don't regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because when Jesus gets a hold of them, he can make them new. So no one can go to anyone in Christ. And that is the viewpoint of the church. And this is the greatest problem of the church today. Only thinking that Christ came for you. This is why I can't, a lot of times with Christians, you're like, oh, just uh, Jesus, come back in this virus. Jesus, come back. Well, the reason why you want Jesus to come back is because you're in the boat. So you're like, I'm saved now, Jesus. So come on, baby. Come on that white horse. What about the billions of unbelievers who aren't with you in the boat yet? 
How selfish do we have to be just to want Jesus to come back because he saved us and we're like, we're good now, Jesus. Again, this is the attitude that a lot of churches get into. This is what happens. A church grows, we reach you, and then they're like, we're good now. We don't want new people to come. Oh, you start inviting other people that don't fit? You, you, if one church is one race predominantly and you start inviting other people in from another race, they'd be like, what are they doing here? Forrest Gump, that mug, right? Can't sit here. You start inviting other people that don't look the same, that don't smell the same, that don't act the same, that don't speak the same. The church is like, ah! What is that? That's a fleshly mindset regarding those people according to the flesh, refusing to see past their flesh and to realize that God saw past your flesh. He didn't save you because he needed you on his team. He didn't save you because you were so awesome. He saved you because he wanted to reconcile you with his father. That is the highest good of the gospel. The highest good of the gospel, hear me, church, is not that you get to heaven. It's not that you get to see grandma. It is for sure not that you get to see your favorite, favorite pet when you die. Are they going to be there? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. The highest good of the gospel is you get God. That's the highest good. Promise me. I promise you. When you get to heaven and you see God, you will not care about the streets of gold. You will not care about the pearly gates. And Peter won't be standing there. You'll see God. And that's the highest good. And the glory of God will fill the temple, just like in Isaiah chapter 6. And you will fall down. And you will worship him. And you will enjoy him forever. Because that's what your heart was made for. But again, how selfish do we have to be to not want to invite others into that glory? To not want grace to extend to more and more people so that they can experience it too. So we don't look at people. We don't know people now according to the flesh. We only know people by the power of God to make them new. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, we long for the day, like Romans 8 says, for the final new to come, the physical new to come. We long for that. But until that day, we have a purpose. And that purpose is to share the reconciliation that we've received. That's what he says. That's the end. He reconciled you. And gave you the ministry of reconciliation. So if you've been sitting around your house for the last six weeks, not knowing what to do besides just eat a lot and homeschool your kids, you have a new purpose. And that purpose is to serve and speak about the one who served you and spoke light and life into you. Look at the last couple verses. Verse 19. He explains what he just said. That is, in Christ... God was, now check this out. God was reconciling the world to himself. So who's doing it? God is. Make no mistake about it. God's the one who said, let there be light. God is the one who's reconciling. We don't reconcile. We don't provide the light. We just proclaim God's doing it. But don't miss this. Not counting the trespasses against them. And, everybody say and again. And, one, two, three. And entrusting to us. The message, that word there, message, is the Greek word logos. That's what John said Jesus was. He's entrusted Jesus to you. 
He's entrusted to you the message of reconciliation, which amazing to me, that word there, entrusting is the Greek word tithe me. God tithed Jesus. He was the first fruits to you. And now he's entrusted you with the tithe. What are you going to do with what God's entrusted you with? And that word there, tithe, means to put or to place. And that's what tithing is. We talk a lot about tithing around here. And again, you guys have been so generous during this time. We want you to continue to put your trust in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. And yes, we do that with our finances. But I want you to understand the reason why is because God has put his trust in you. God has entrusted you. He has tithed Jesus to you so that now through you, you're the first fruit after Jesus. And that goes to more and more people. You've been entrusted with the greatest treasure in the world, Jesus himself. Last two verses and we're done, 20 and 21. Therefore, why is the word therefore? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, don't miss this. God making his appeal. Who's doing it? God. God's the one doing it. He's the driver. He's the source. All this is from him. God is making his appeal through, preposition of means, through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friends, that's the gospel. He made him to be so that you might become. He made Jesus to be sin so that you might become righteous. There might be some of you here today, and that's the first time you've heard that. That God loved you so much that he sent the word to serve you, to reconcile you to his father. There may be some of you today, and I, like Paul, I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so if there's some of you here today and you're like, there's no way God could save me. You don't know what I've done. Here's what I know. No one can become anyone. We don't regard no one according to the flesh. That's why I love the gospel, man. God took Peter, the dude who screwed it up all the time and made him an apostle. He took Paul, a guy who was persecuting Jesus and killing his followers and made him one of the chief apostles. So please, today, if you're here and you're like, there's no way God can reconcile me, you don't understand the power of the gospel. This is not, hey, get yourself together and then come to God. No, this is come to God and he'll get you together. This is come to God and admit your blindness. Confess, I'm sick. I'm infected with sin. And he'll save you. So if you're here today, man, I'm telling you. If, if you knew who I was before Christ, you'd be like, how in the world are you a pastor? So please, if you're here today and you think there's no way God could reconcile me, you don't know Jesus and the power of the gospel. Anyone can be made new in Christ. 
But then there's those of us here today that we have trusted Christ. We have been reconciled with him, but we're not speaking. And here's what I want to implore you with, church. Yes, we believe. And we also speak. We speak. We serve and we speak because we want more and more people to have the same grace that we have. Because the more people who have grace, the more glory goes to God. And the greater rejoicing in heaven there will be when there are more people glorifying and enjoying God forever. And so if you're here today and you've already trusted Christ, but you've been wondering what your purpose is, you want to know why you're still here? It's not to make another dollar. It's not to go another day. It's to speak what you believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us so much. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to reconcile us with you. And you overcame our resistance to you. You overcame the spiritual blindness, the darkness, by saying, let there be light. But you did it through somebody else proclaiming it to us. So God, thank you that you did it through them. And God, if we know the people who proclaim Jesus to us, maybe this week we will call them and say, thank you. Thank you for proclaiming that to me. Thank you for speaking and serving me. I'm saved now because of it. But there may be some today, God, that have not trusted Jesus. They have not been reconciled with you, but today they've heard the proclamation of the good news. And so we ask you right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you say in their heart, let there be light. Right now, if you're listening to me, and again, I just want to take a moment, if you could, just we bow our head and close our eyes to block out distractions and to kind of look inwardly. If there's never been a moment in your life where you've trusted Christ, where you've responded in faith and confessed your sins and received grace and been reconciled, that can happen today. And you can become a new creation today. So if that's you and you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. Simply, if you'll confess and believe, then you'll be saved. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right there where you are. You can confess with me and pray. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. Thank you for loving me. I confess that I'm a sinner and I believe Christ is my Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? Make me a new creation. I believe. Now, if that was you, at that moment, the Bible says you're made new. Now, you've just begun the process of following Jesus. So it doesn't mean you're, you're not going to still struggle with sin. You are, but now you're a new person. And the Holy Spirit resides in you, and he is making you like Christ. So we want to help you with that. So you can text the number that you've seen on the screen all throughout this service. We'll put it up again. Let us know. 
you've trusted Christ, we want to connect with you, give you a Bible, help you in this journey. Then those of us, again, who've trusted Christ, I want to encourage you. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. And he has a purpose for you. And that purpose goes beyond your family. It goes beyond your job. It goes beyond your personality. And that purpose is to proclaim. And you don't have to be this eloquent, perfect person to do it. You just serve and you simply share and you watch the power of God to save. So church, again, this is our opportunity. It's why we're doing this campaign. We want you to believe and then we want you to speak what you believe. God, would you continue to move in our midst? Thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.